and welcome to another episode of Analyzing Mormonism. Today, I just wanted to do something different. Um, we haven't been doing very many podcasts lately, <laughs> but, um, but we wanted to do one, and this one's pretty easy because it's just the letters between my stake president and I when I was excommunicated two years ago. Just reading over it a little bit, I was like, I don't really want to read, be the one to read this out loud, so I'm going to make America read my parts, and I'll read my stake president's parts, and we will do our best to not use anybody's names just in case. Except so. your name. My name's fine, yeah, but not my, like, ex-husband or the stake president or the bishop, so. Okay. Yeah. He's not the stake president anymore, but but he was, so. Okay, America's going to take over reading. Um, this is a letter, this is an email that I wrote July 19th of 2021. Dear President, I was notified a few weeks ago that you desired to meet with me. I assume that it is because my bishop has informed you of the accusations of infidelity within my ending marriage. Before I continue, I'd like to say a few things. Firstly, I am gay. It is something that I have pushed down for over 15 years. In all of my struggles, however, I have always done my best to do the Lord's will. I attended seminary, BYU-Idaho, served a mission, got married in the temple, and strived to magnify every calling I ever had. I have read the Book of Mormon again and again and prayed and fasted all my life, but regardless, I feel these deep connections and attractions to persons of the same gender. Secondly, I am a deep researcher. In the last several months, not only have I been on a journey to discover my sexual orientation, but I have also been on a journey with what I know about the church. I have learned so many things that do not sit well with me, things about Joseph Smith, polyandry, racism in the church, and various problems with church history and current church culture. On a personal note, in one of my interviews with my bishop, he asked if I did not believe that the family proclamation was inspired by God, or correct. At the time, my only response was that I believed it, but I was simply choosing mortal happiness with the hope that the other kingdoms would be just as wonderful as Joseph Smith said they were. However, after a fair amount of research, I have learned for myself that the proclamation in question was not a revelation at all, but a legal document formulated in response to the Circuit Court of Hawaii's debate on same-sex marriage. I have also learned that the Church actively pushes against equal rights for women because gender is fluid and therefore needs strict rules to keep males and females in their place. Even working for Bishop and Dr. G, I could see that these gender roles were not necessary. Men can nurture, women can provide, preside, and protect. Children and families function best when they are loved and when their parents are living authentically. In addition to that, many leaders and teachers in the church have taught opposite things from what the proclamation teaches. BYU professor Turner implied that it was us and not God that chose our gender. Another BYU professor, Hiram Andrus, stated that nowhere in scripture or in any authoritative source is the central, primal life of man said to be an intelligence that existed as a living entity in the form and structure of man. Apostle William J. Critchlow, in the 1965 General Conference, said that we as individuals chose our own gender. And in 1983, President Hinckley affirmed that God chose our genders, which indicates that gender is not eternal. In conjunction, Joseph Fielding Smith openly taught that gender would end after the resurrection for the vast majority of mankind. How can gender be eternal if it was chosen by us or God, and if it ends after the resurrection for the majority of God's children? If gender is fluid... If gender roles are unnecessary, and if gender is not eternal, then why is gay marriage wrong? If children can be adopted or brought into the home through other means such as artificial insemination, again I ask, why is gay marriage wrong? 
In all of my research, I have never once come across any study that says that LGBTQ parents are less than heterosexual parents. In fact, a study published in 2012 by Live Science showed that LGBTQ parents tend to be more motivated, more committed than heterosexual parents on average because they chose to be parents. The study says that LGBTQ parents are more committed and more involved in the lives of their children. How could this be a bad thing? Regardless of gender, however, I believe that God looks on the heart of his children. I believe it matters more to him who we become and the people we succor, and far less on who we choose to spend our romantic lives with. Having said those things, I would now like to clarify, yes, I am dating someone, a woman. The divorce papers have been served to my ex-husband, and I plan on continuing to date this individual throughout the entire process. I have been on my own for three months now, and I see no reason to hold off dating since, no matter what I do, this relationship is, quote, unworthy in the sight of the church. When I came to terms with the fact that I was gay and would not be satisfied or happy in my current relationship, nor would my ex-husband, my bishop learned that I had decided that, that divorce was my best really my only option. My bishop proceeded to take everything away from me, citing worthiness, though I had done nothing wrong. I had made the decision to separate myself from my husband, and that was it. I had kept all of the commandments, yet I was told that I could no longer feel the spirit, that I could no longer take the sacrament, and that I could no longer hold callings or a temple recommend. He seemed to be prematurely leading me to either disfellowship or excommunication. This was extremely unjust. In conjunction with that, I feel that excommunication is the most unchristlike thing a church can do. Perhaps the church can justify it by saying that it is done to help the individual, but stripping an individual of their saving ordinances and essentially giving them a one-way ticket to hell is not something our Savior would ever do. Again, I feel that excommunication is the most unchristlike thing a church can do. I love Christ, but the church is not Christ. In fact, with all that I am learning, I'm not sure I could even call the church Christ-like. I know that Christ loves me. What it says on a piece of paper regarding my standing in the church will never change, because the Lord looketh on the heart. I know my heart is pure. God knows it, and he knows that I have always sought and will continue to seek his will in my life. There are many ex-members of the church that I know and love. I have met with my cousins, my sisters, my brothers, many of my old roommates and mission companions, all of whom have left the church, and never once did I feel that they were out of the reach of Christ's atonement and love. And I refuse to believe that they would have to go back to church to receive his unconditional love. The church is flawed, President. It has actively hurt millions of people, and it is still hurting them. I have felt God's unconditional, perfect love more since allowing myself to see him differently than I could within the rigid lines drawn around him in the church. One thing that I would like you and others to understand is that the church does not have a monopoly on happiness. Why would a loving Father in heaven not allow the seven or so billion people on earth outside of the church not be happy? I have felt more loving, more service-oriented, more giving, and more loved since beginning my journey. I not only love others unconditionally, but I love myself unconditionally as well. As a final note, I wish to say that for some reason in all of this, I have very much wanted to retain my membership. I would have followed whatever guidelines necessary to keep my membership for as long as I could. But I choose happiness. I choose fulfillment. I choose to follow Christ in the best way that I can, and to me that means dating a strong, kind, loving woman who understands the universe the same way I do. I have prayed and fasted and feel that this is God's will for me. And I know that my bishop will argue that I cannot feel the Spirit, but if this isn't the Spirit, that feeling of warmth and comfort and unconditional love in my heart, then I have never felt the Spirit before. 
not on my mission, not in the temple, not even in my Bishop's Institute classes. If that isn't the spirit, then I have never known what the spirit is. If you feel the need to have a disciplinary council to disfellowship or excommunicate me, you are welcome to do so. I will not be attending. The church has excommunicated a great number of amazing individuals, including Natasha Helfer Parker, John DeLynn, D. Michael Quinn, Jeremy Runnels, Kate Kelly, and many others. I would be honored to put my name on the list with those individuals who are striving to stay close to Christ in the best way they knew how, but could not bend to the arbitrary rules of the church. I also wish to say that I have no intention of removing my records. I have loved and given so much to this church, and even though I view it as just that, a church, I will not be the one to leave it behind. If the church wants me out, it's going to have to do that itself. With all of this said, there is no further reason for you to reach out to me again. I have said all that I wish to say. President, I want you to know that I have loved getting to know you and your family. I remember taking piano lessons from your wife with fondness, and I wish I'd have kept at it. I sincerely wish you the best in all you do. You have done so much good for our sake. I recognize that this situation, with deciding an individual standing in the church, is probably the worst part of your calling, and I apologize for adding to that burden. I hope you have a beautiful remainder of your day. Sincerely, Julia Sanders. Just as a clarification, I was a na- I worked as a nanny for a doc- a female doctor in my ward, and her husband stayed at home, and he was a painter. So it was just really different right away that this family functioned so differently than the proclamation laid out. Like, she was the breadwinner. He stayed home. He did make money selling his portraits, but, like, it wasn't nearly as much income as she, she made as a doctor. Anyway, were you, did you have any thoughts reading that? Well, I wanted to know if you were still against removing your records from the church. What do you mean? Because you said in there, I will not be removing my records from the church. Wait, what are you asking, though? Would you remove your records from the church now? That's a really good question. Um, probably just because I don't like, well, you know, I don't even know if it makes any difference. Um, my initial reaction is probably yes, because I don't want the church to get more credit for having as many members and stuff like that. Um, and I don't want to be affiliated at all with a church who's doing these things that I do not agree with, like legally or everything like that and like the legislature and everything. Um, so yeah, I would probably remove them, but like, I don't, I, I kind of still have a hunch that they still count excommunicated members. So I don't even know if it would have, if it made any difference that I'm excommunicated or not. Cause I know they don't delete your records just cause like my mom was excommunicated at one point and then she was rebaptized the same with my grandpa and they just, it's almost like they hide them and then they bring them all back. So it's like, Oh, you're, even though you were just rebaptized in this current year, we're, it's going to still reflect as, as though you had gotten baptized when you were eight. Like it doesn't make any difference. So like they still keep your records. Do you have other thoughts? No, I want to know what your thoughts were. On what? Oh, my thing? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I thought that was well-written. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's very well It's really long, so I apologize for that. But. But, you, but you got everything in there that you wanted to say. Like, I really liked how you've, <laughs> you, like, clarified. You're like, no, I want you to know this is the reason. Like, everything. All of the reasons. Yeah. Okay, so, so that was written, what did I say, July 19th? And then his response was August 1st. So what is that, two weeks? July, August, yeah. Okay. So this is uh, my stick president. Thanks, Sister Sanders, for reaching out to me with, a heart- with your heartfelt letter and explanation. I truly believe that there has been much heartache on your part. As I read and reread your letter and the way that you have been treated and or perceived being treated by the church. That's sort of gaslighting. <laughs> 
In no way would I want to push you away from the Church of Jesus Christ and repeat to you what has been said by many of our leaders. There is room for all in Christ's Church. I am taking time to ponder, pray, and consider all that you have pointed out in your letter and appreciate the details, the feelings and passion with which you write. Your feelings are real, and I recognize in you a strong and faith-filled spirit child of our Heavenly Father. Please know that these matters are of great importance in consideration of one's desire to follow God's commandments, as well as the policies and procedures established by Him through living prophets for those that wish to disregard established eternal laws and counsel. (laughs) Your desires are sincere and expressed well. After more consideration and spiritual confirmation, I will get back to you. Warmest regards, State President. Any thoughts on that? I like how he he said how you've been treated slash how you perceive to have been treated. Like, he wanted to clarify like how you're feeling it, it may or may not be real. Like, yeah, that uh, I didn't. I, that was like nice, but also not nice. Like like uh, how you think your bishop treated you was not was not well, but like he, you it just could have been in your head. Yeah, that was. I didn't feel like that was fair. Like I had not done anything wrong. He, I don't think that was fair for him to do that. Um, and there was another part where he's like, and desire to follow God's commandments as well as the policies and procedures established by him through living prophets for those that wish to disregard established eternal laws and counsel. So he's like, you are disregarding established eternal laws and counsel by dating a woman. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, like Jesus didn't say anything about it, but I guess you can say anything because it's a, but he says policies and he's, he's, I guess what bothers me is that he has commandments, policies and procedures <laughs> All listed as super, super important. Commandments, policies, and procedures, established eternal laws, and counsel. All of those things. Yeah, but like, I guess I thought that doctrines were more, better than policies because policies change all the time. It doesn't but say like, doctrine in there at all. That's true. He says commandments, I guess. But anyway, I thought that was really interesting. So if you, if you disregard a commandment or a doctrine, it's the same as if you disregard a policy, right? That's just what, it, that's what I feel. Okay, so that was August 1st, and then September, the next email from him was September 6th of 2021. So what is that? Um, a whole month later? Mm-hmm. So a month later, I hear back from him. Sister Sanders, after additional consideration in seeking the will of the Lord, it is in the best interest of the church and you to proceed forward with a membership council to consider your standing in the church. Attached is the letter inviting you to attend the council that will be held this coming Thursday at the stake president's office. As a matter of information, the stake president, the two presidency counselors, and state clerk will be in attendance, and your bishop will be invited to attend. No others are invited unless you feel it would benef- it would be beneficial for them to attend on your behalf. Please let me know if you have any questions after reading the letter. Again, I extend to you the concern and love of the church, the Savior, and say that there is room for all in his church, for all who are willing to follow his commandments. Sincerely, the stake president. Hang on, wait. That was Thursday. What was September? Okay, so September 6th was a Tuesday. So he's like, hey, in two days, we're going to have a council and probably excommunicate you. Which I, you know, I just didn't like that because, like, I'm working, I'm working full time. And then he's just like, show up in two days, change your schedule, whatever. For your eternal salvation. (sighs) Okay, so the letter's pretty short. So Julie Sanders, September 6th, 2021. Dear Sister Sanders, the stake presidency will convene a membership council on your behalf. This council will meet with you to discuss your recent letter via email to the stake president dated July 19th, 2021. This membership council will convene on September 9th, 2021 at 7 p.m. at the stake center. You are invited to attend this council to discuss your testimony, feelings about the Savior, and your commitment to living the standards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are invited to attend the council to give your response. You may provide written statements from persons who can provide relevant information. 
You may invite such persons to speak to the council on your behalf if approved in advance by the state president. <laughs> Two days to get the <laughs> approval. Anyone who attends must be willing to comply with the respectful nature of the council, including its procedures and confidentiality. Legal counsels and supporters beyond those referred to above may not be present. Like a um, lawyer. No lawyers. We extend to you the love of the Savior at this time and look forward to the opportunity to meet with you. Sincerely, the state president. Like, wow. I haven't reread this one in a long time. Like, don't record anything. You can't have your attorney there. And also, everybody that you have to, that you want to bring, that you have to get an approval within, like, two days. Okay, so I responded the next day, probably the next morning. It was September 7th of 2021. Thank you, President. As I said in my previous email, if you feel the need to have a disciplinary council meeting to disfellowship or excommunicate me, you are welcome to do so. I will not be attending. The church has excommunicated a great number of amazing individuals, including Natasha Helfer Parker, John DeLynn, D. Michael Quinn, Jeremy Runnels, Kate Kelly, and many others. I would be honored to put my name on the list with those individuals who are striving to stay close to Christ in the best way they knew how, but could not bend to the arbitrary rules of the church. In a way, I feel that the church and my upbringing have caused me to have a high moral character. And in all my research and devoted time studying the history of the church, I have come to find that the church does not live up to my standards. I cannot get over the fact that Joseph Smith lied to his wife about polygamy. I cannot be okay with the fact that he lived polyandry in marrying other men's wives, some men who had devoted themselves wholly to the church. I cannot get over the fact that Joseph lived polygamy before the revelation was even given. I cannot live with the fact that he coerced women to marry him with a threat of death by an angel of God. I cannot get over the fact that Joseph Smith lied about translating the book of Abraham. I cannot get over the hurtful racism and bigotry in the church. I cannot get over how the church has treated women and victims of sexual assault. I cannot get over how the church treated and is treating its LGBTQ members. These members, myself included, cannot be reoriented. We just are. For years, BYU sought to reorient them through electroshock and aversion therapy. Many of these men took their lives. Elder Holland's recent BYU talk used harmful, warlike rhetoric that hurt so many LGBTQ students and friends. The church has not been accepting of my people. In addition, the church has never spoken out or apologized for any of the before-mentioned harmful practices and teachings. This is another thing I cannot handle. The church teaches that we should make restitution and do all we can to fix our mistakes, but the church has never done so itself. The church has simply changed its doctrine without apology or explanation. As I stated in my letter, I feel that excommunication is the most unchristlike thing a church can do. I could never believe in a God who would cut his children away from the one true gospel. I personally feel that excommunication has no benefit for the individual. Perhaps you will say that it relieves the individual of so much responsibility and accountability, but I disagree. The Mormon God does not love his children unconditionally. It seems to me that loving unconditionally is a tactic of Satan, and this alone seems very backward. I pray that the Spirit of God will rest upon you during this meeting as you discuss my eternal salvation. I, at least, believe that my God looks upon my heart. My heart is good, President. I desire to serve my fellow man and to have them all feel unconditionally loved. Thank you for your time and effort during this difficult process. I wish your family the best. Sincerely, Julia Sanders. I, I think to some degree my mind was like, if he doesn't know these things, I'm going to tell him these things. And I don't know why he wouldn't. Like, I feel like most state presidents are familiar with the, the troublesome 
church history asks that yeah, aspects. I doubt that it's in the forefront of their mind. I'm sure that they spend very little thought on the things that the church does wrong. Because if you think about it too long, it makes you feel bad. And you wouldn't want to do that. So I'm sure that it's like, oh, well, that's a thing. Put that on the shelf, you know, and just yeah. ignore it. So I think you did the right thing by bringing it to his attention. Yeah. Like, uh, and I need, like, yeah, I feel like I, that was, there's no other way I, to do it. Okay. So he responded September 21st of 2021. It says, Sister Sanders, please see the attached letter with information on the membership council held on your behalf. Let me know if you have any questions. I'm available to discuss in person, via email, or phone at your convenience. May the Lord bless you as you work out your challenges and opportunities is my sincere desire. So that was September 21st. And one thing I noticed is that the letter was sent, was this a week? This is the letter that he, the, that he attached was sent, was written September 15th of 2021. Was it a week? So he sent it a week late? The letter is dated September 15th of 2021. So he waited an entire week before he emailed me this letter. And I don't, I don't understand why. Like, did it take, and that email was three sentences long. Like, why did you wait so long? Anyway, dear Sister Sanders, the stake presidency met as previously communicated to you on September 9th of 2021 to consider information that you have sent to me, as well as information from your bishop in discussions with him pertaining to your standing in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. After careful consideration and prayerful confirmation, as the will of the Lord, oh wait, pause. No, 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 no. Pause, pause, pause. Okay, so I, I thought it was interesting on the September 6th email, he said, it is in the best interest of the church and you to continue having this this uh, membership council meeting. Like, why is it in the best interest of the church? It's in the church's best interest to distance itself from you. Because I'm I'm a spokesman against all those things. Like, I just thought that was really interesting. Like, like no one knew about my TikTok or anything <clears throat> until like a year later when I decided to share it on Facebook. I just thought that was really interesting. It's in the church's best interest to have, I don't, I don't know if I want to call myself a whistleblower, but have like truth tellers or people who speak truth to power. To, we need to distance ourselves from those people. I just thought that was really interesting. Okay, anyway, sorry, going back. Um, after careful consideration and prayerful confirmation as the will of the Lord at this time, your membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been withdrawn for your actions concerning breaking the covenants you have made in the temple of God. This action restricts your ability to participate fully in all the blessings of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, and you are instructed to no longer wear the authorized garment of the priesthood, are not able to hold a temple recommend, offer prayers or talks in regular church meetings, partake of the sacrament, and participate in the sustaining of church officers. You are also not obligated to pay tithes and offerings. You may seek readmission into the church via baptism after one year from the date of this notification. You have the right to appeal this decision to the Office of the First Presidency, by submitting to me in writing your opposition to this action and details surrounding why you feel it should not be in effect. You have 30 days from the date of this letter to submit that appeal. It's all very legal. Obedience to God's laws and commandments and living by the covenants made are essential to receive all of God's blessings. We encourage you as a stake presidency to review in your heart and mind the covenants made, seek to understand how that you can return to full fellowship in the church and still be firstly gay, as you put it, Having the feelings and disposition that you do is no sin in God's eyes. Acting on those feelings and breaking covenants made with God are the reasons why membership councils are held and restrictions and withdrawals are put into place. Our sincere desire in this membership council was to feel your testimony and know your heart. By not attending and only sending letters explaining your position, 
created a less personal way for us to review, evaluate, and then seek the will of the Lord pertaining to your membership status. The Spirit witnessed clearly to myself and my counselors that your progress can only continue as you repent, seek to understand God's will, and are obedient to His laws and commandments. We extend to you the love of the Savior in helping you through this process of repentance and look forward to the opportunity to meet with you in the future. Sincerely, the Stake President. So, like, my first thought is, like, he, he brings up, so I, I, I didn't, I don't mean to identify myself as firstly gay. I don't feel like that's, if, if I were I, to label myself as I anything. I don't think you said firstly gay. I thought you said, first of all, I'm gay. That's what I thought I said, too. Let me, let me check. Hold on. Another thing is, he, he said that you were excommunicated for breaking covenants. Mm-hmm. What covenants had you broken at that time? Um, well, there's the covenant of um, the law of chastity to only wait at that time while I was living with you. Hmm. Um, so so even though my ex-husband and I were separated and we had been separated for some time, April, May, June, July, August, September, um, like six months, um, you and I were still living together. So that's but breaking the law of chastity. They didn't know that. No, they knew we were living together. How did they know that? Because my ex-husband told them. <laughs> so they are making assumptions based on somebody else's uh like telling them, they, yeah. So they, you did not confess any sins, but they still. No, the only thing I confess is that I was dating a woman. So, and then somebody else comes by and says, "Oh, well, she's living with a woman," and they're like, "Oh, well, she's really breaking her covenant." So, but when has the church ever cared about getting the correct truth, information? Yeah. yeah. So I said, first, like I am gay. So, <clears throat> and I just meant that as in, as part of this conversation, I need to point this out first. That's not how I firstly identify myself. Yeah. Exactly. So he says, "You said that you were firstly gay." I don't think that's at all what I was trying to relay. No, because you said firstly and then you said secondly. Like, right, like that's not. like, hey, first of all, we're going to talk about this. But also, like, it's interesting how he says, you could still be gay, but you can't act on being gay. Like, that's the main problem I pointed out to him. But, like, he ignores every single other thing that I brought up. Like, he doesn't say anything about polyandry and polygamy. He doesn't say anything about the book of Abraham. He doesn't say anything about, like, racism. I don't know. He doesn't say anything. He's just like, you can still be gay and be in the church. There's literally a place for everyone. Like, way to, way to ignore everything that I, like, those two large emails that I sent him. Way to ignore all of that. Like, it was just not, I don't know. And I don't like how my bishop was there. I, I really have really hard feelings against my bishop. Um, he was very cocky whenever we had our last interviews. He's, I don't know, he's, well, he just rubbed me the wrong way. Well, give, like, a full explanation of your relationship with him. Okay, so um, I came out to my so I came out to my ex husband as being um, gay back in oh it must have been a year before this email was sent it was 2020 it was August of 2020 and um, and then I was like deciding of whether to stay married if I could do that or not and then so throughout so I can't remember the first time I met with Bishop but with my old Bishop but I think it was my ex husband who had him come in. And I was the gospel doctrine teacher at this point. Um, very active. Didn't like I was still like we didn't go to the temple because of COVID and we have kids. So it's just harder. So we just didn't go anyway. Um, but there was times where the bishop would send me like we would send each other articles back and forth. He's like, oh, people just he sent me one that was like, like people just know how to be gay. That doesn't make it a right thing to do. And I sent him some I sent him back articles that were like people are born gay and it's it can be in them when they're born and stuff like that. And And so that was really frustrating. But like. Uh, oh, oh, and the first time he met with me, he says, I want you to know that I am going, I am probably one of the most progressive bishops for LGBTQ people. He's like, I, I'm like, like the best bishop to go to. 
so I was like, I was happy about that. I was like, oh, I'm really like, you're feeling like a safe person. And then he was sending me these things back and forth. And then whenever I did decide, like I gave myself permission not to be intimate with my husband and I moved out of the room with, from him and we just were essentially just roommates and was like, I was like, hey, um, we need to actually get divorced. And then the bishop immediately called me in and was like, whoa, you're getting divorced. And I was like, well, yeah, like I like neither of us are ever going to be happy in this because I'm gay. And then he got he like totally did like a is it like a 180, 180 where he's like. I don't know, he was just really he just became immediately unsafe to me. He was like. Like hostile. Yeah, it was. It almost felt hostile. He was like getting mad at me in the bishop's meetings. Like, he was like, "What do you think the family proclamation is just made up? Do you think it's inspired of God? Do you think it's just wrong?" And I was like, "Holy cow!" And I hadn't done any research yet. Like, I think I was still reading, or just after that, I started reading Tabernacles of Clay, which was that and Todd Compton's book and Sacred Loneliness were the ones that broke my shelf. And um, Taylor Petrie does a really good job of laying out all the change, not all of them, but but so many changes in in the church doctrine as far as LGBTQ and, and gender and trans people and uh, just stuff like that. It was, it's such a good book. Um, anyway, so I didn't know the background, but then I learned the background because you can see that in my emails to the state president. Um, you might not have gone so deeply <laughs> into this had they not asked you these questions. Yeah. So. I'm trying to remember what else happened with my bishop. Yeah. So I just felt because um, at the time I did, once I decided to get divorced, um, I think it was the same conversation that the bishop was saying, like, what do you think the family proclamation's fake or, or made up or whatever? I don't know if he asked it that way, but he might have said not of God. Anyway, but but uh, I hadn't done anything wrong. You you and I hadn't started dating. Like, I had, like, 100% word of wisdom, 100% scripture reading, 100%, you know, every commandment given in the temple. Um, he's like, nope, you can't, you can't have the sacrament. You can't have your calling away. Give me your temple recommend. He was like, just shut everything off. And it really, really hurt me. So that I did not like that. So this was July nineteenth. Mm-hmm. Okay, hold on, because I didn't move in until July fourth. So this is only two weeks after, and they were ready to excommunicate you. Yeah, maybe they're just waiting. And I was still attending church, like I was still going to church well and well after you had moved in with me. Um, yeah, that's I hadn't really pointed that put put those together, but yeah, like two weeks later, they're like, oh yeah, we gotta excommunicate you. Yeah, like, how quickly does that move? Like, it seems to me more likely the bishop was, like, we need to excommunicate her. And then they, like, finally jumped on it. Yeah. Because they don't actually say what you did wrong. He just says you broke your covenants. Yeah. That's And that's it. Like, he, like is being gay breaking the covenants? Is it Yeah, he was very vague because, like, people ask me, like, why you were excommunicated. And I would be like, well, technically, I, uh, like, like, even if you had been a man, mm-hmm. like... Um, the reason I would have been excommunicated in my mind is just because of the law of chastity, uh, because it's somebody who's not my spouse. But lots of people break the law of chastity all the time and, and are not excommunicated. Yeah, that's very true. So that's another thing that really bothers me is because, like, maybe it's just because I was active that he was like, let's go after her. Um, like, my family, like, my sister has still has her records. She has had multiple partners, not to say, not in any shameful way, just in, just in, just that's just life. And then my other sister, who's her ex has been in and out of jail. Like, she, they've broken up and she's gone with other people. She's still a member of the church. Mm-hmm. Like, there are so many people, even just in my family, where they're still members. They, the church doesn't care. They're like, oh, no, we'll keep you. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why. 
Yeah, they went after you. And I think it's because of this relationship you had with the bishop where he was like kind of fighting with you, trying to get you to be on, you know, come to his side of, you know, his point of view. And if you had just slowly disappeared, like, like I did when like my, my church position, I was, um, what was I? I was in the primary. I was a primary counselor. And during COVID, like we stopped having meetings and, um, I just stopped going to church and I got divorced and I left and like, nobody came after me. I don't know that they even know where I am. They don't like, they, they have my phone number, but nobody has called. Nobody cares because I'm not, I'm not showing up and like drawing attention to myself. Maybe like, because I disappeared, they aren't going to make a big deal out of it, but because you were there every day and showing up and with a, you know, proud look on your face saying, yeah, I'm gay and I'm leaving my husband. And I believe this church is true. And like, you can't do that. You can't do both. So they found any reason they could to have you get kicked out. So they didn't have to look at you. So, like, hang on, my mind's still turning. And maybe there's obvious reasons, but let me just think it out. So, like, you, your crime and my crime are essentially the same. They are the exact same. We left our we left our temple marriages with men, and we mm-hmm. are dating each other. Yep. And, like, both just as active in the church. And, mm-hmm. like, um, but they went after me. I, I Like, why don't they track you down and excommunicate you? What is the purpose of excommunication? It, so it's not about the member at all at this point because no. then they would be tracking you down and my siblings to be yeah, like well, you you need to make sure that you are not bearing the responsibilities of the weight yeah, of your exactly. no that's not it they don't care so they it's not about not the care. member at all it's about it sounds like it's about what reflects on them like it's in the best interest of the church to have someone like you Julia excommunicated they need you to be like gone they want you gone so what, what would you, so you, do you think if you had just stayed active, they would have excommunicated you? Or do you think that? I don't know. Um, I have no idea. I, it, I think it really depends on who your bishop is and what the ward is like. And like, because you know, there's like, there are gay people going to church and they're accepted by their ward and, and all is well, right? Like they can't go to the temple or whatever, but they are free to, to attend church and and have you know some kind of calling sometimes but like so that happens so why did they why did they do that to you like why didn't they just say okay sister sanders we're probably going to let you out of your gospel doctrine class and maybe we should put you in a different ward just so there's not like this weird dynamic but like keep coming to church because you love this church and you love Mm -hmm. christ and we want you to to have your blessings no they didn't do that why did they not do that right Mm-hmm. I think it's because personally, I think the bishop had an issue with you and he, yeah. and he went to that meeting and he showed everybody else what the issues were. And then they voted on, on his side. I'm curious to know what he said. Yeah. Just, I, I would have liked to be in a, a, a fly on that wall. I have never regretted not attending because I don't, because what I understand is that you, that um, you're sitting there at the head of the table. I think there's 12 guys sitting around sitting around the table and i'm pretty sure you're not really acquainted with any of them mm. you know he pointed out the the himself and the bishop and i i'm not acquainted with the counselors so i don't know who they are um so anyway i i was not interested in standing there and being i don't want to say yell that but being like judged by these strangers who's who are supposed to represent jesus in a way that i don't think reflects jesus at all anyway i don't ever regret not going um i do think it's interesting when people do attend their councils and, and like i've listened to jeremy reynolds um, the guy who wrote the ces letter who 
when during his council and, and uh, that was really interesting oh so another thing that I wanted to point out and maybe this was not maybe this just I think I get a little spicy sometimes <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but um so the bishop in that last meeting he was he was like have you read Charlie Bird's book it might not have been the last meeting but he was like have you read Charlie Bird's new book um and back then it was not it was the first one he wrote behind the mask yeah without the mask um and I was like yeah and you know what I was carefully listening to what Charlie was saying and I admire Charlie we're in the same stake and he said uh, I said he never once said that he was going to be celibate for the church he never said he was going to be single he never said anything like that and the bishop just kind of sat there like oh like he didn't say anything after that like I wonder if he's like rethinking and recommending that book like I, I really really appreciated Charlie's words I'm not saying anything against it However, when he got uh, engaged, Charlie Bird got engaged uh, last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, he had a little video on Instagram, and I screen recorded it, and then I sent it to my old bishop, <laughs> who is now in the stake presidency, and uh, didn't say anything. Just sent the just sent the little video, and got on my merry day. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, it was just funny. Like, I like that a lot. <laughs> um, another thing about my bishop is. Uh, I remember talking to my sister-in-law, and she said that he he was starting these classes. They were, like, once a week on a certain night, and they were, they were like, like hard topics to handle in the church, and they're, like, polygamy and racism and, like, really big things. And I was like, oh, I really want to go, but it's really hard for childcare because, you know, I need to take care of my kid. And my sister-in-law told me that she had gone, and I asked, was asking her how it was, and she's like, well, he's not, he's not really answering the questions. In fact, he's kind of, I don't know if she used the word gaslighty, but, like, she was like, he's kind of being gaslighty because it's like someone said, why would Brigham Young say this thing? And then they would say, like, oh, you know, I think we're pretty well acquainted with Brigham Young's racist outlook or even very sexist outlook. Anyway, but he was like, he was like, Brigham Young said these things. And, and the bishop was like, did he? Did he really, though? Like, do we know that for sure that he was a racist? Oh, that and is then he would like, like brush off and gaslighting. Yeah. And then he would like move on. And when she said that, she was really put off. And she's a she's still an active believing member of the church. And, like, I was really put off. I was like, oh, maybe I don't want to go to his those classes. So, anyway, that's just one thing that I I don't think he handles. Anyway, he's a – so, hang on. The bishop works for CES. Like, he's a paid seminary teacher here in Missouri. So, like, the church is, is his livelihood. So, it's in his best interest to continue believing that the church is true. Uh, so, I don't – which I think is really wrong of the church to do that, to tie – someone's religion into their work like you have to have good standing you can't stay here that's really difficult yeah but anyways that just makes it harder for the bishop but i also think it's worth noting this is sort of um sort of a change in direction but your bishop at that time that helped excommunicate you became best friends with your ex-husband oh my gosh so so with the so my divorce took two years. So like it just like almost two years, not quite. Mm-hmm. But like there was we had several trials and for before the before the final hearing. And the bishop showed up to maybe three of them. Was it that? I don't know how many it was, but he was there. Like he was there when I got divorced, like the final time, the final hearing. And it was so weird and I was like, why is he here? Like, yeah, they were just chums, and he, it like... It was really funny, because uh, your lawyer was like, did he bring the choir, too? <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny, yeah. The, his attorney was like, no, I'm not letting him in. <laughs> like, into the... To the courtroom? No, he was in the courtroom, but she meant, like, the little... They have little off rooms where they you can talk with the lawyer one-on-one. Oh, yeah. Um, so he, she didn't let the bishop in there, but, like, 
Like, his mom came, his... And maybe I shouldn't... Like, you were there, and my sister was there when I got divorced. But, like, the bishop came, his brother-in-law came, his mom came. Like, I just was... Like, and that's fine. I just don't like that the bishop came. Like, that's just weird. But, yeah, we lived down the street. Um, my ex-husband lives down the street from the bishop, who's now in the state presidency. So they were they were just chums and best friends. And Like, we hear all the time about how they're hanging out. Like, uh, <laughs> we're like, oh, gross. Like, I wish that he wouldn't be around your daughter so much, because that can't be... Like, good. Like, he can't be saying anything nice about you. Yeah. Anyway, um, now I just, like, make TikToks and, or, like, <laughs> record people's Instagrams and send it to them. But. Hell hath no fury. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's mainly just what I wanted to do is just maybe just for the sake of, like, sharing that and maybe just for my own sake for posterity so that people can listen to this and be like, oh, that's, you know, I, I don't feel like a crazy person. Like, these are really valid things to to leave a church like hey I have all these questions like if this church was true I don't know if I I still wouldn't have stayed just because I needed to live my authenticity my authentic life but like like have more answers in there help me answer these questions but there aren't any answers as we know there's none so yeah those were your letters about getting excommunicated that was fun (laughs) it was really hard to be do you remember that morning whenever I got the news it was really early in the morning too um, yeah, I remember when you got the news, you were distraught. Like, this whole, every time, every time you received an email or a letter from him, um, it tore you up for the entire day, if not days, like, maybe weeks. Like, yeah, this was really, really, really hard for you. The state president? Mm-hmm. Well, the first email that he, that he said, sent to me, I thought was really hopeful. He was like, he's like, oh, yeah, like, I, let me, like, I, what, <laughs> Whether you were treated or perceived as being treated, it sounds like it was pretty negative. But he was like, um, let me really take this into consideration. Like, you've said a lot of really... Like, that felt hopeful to me. Like, he was mm-hmm. listening to not just the, you know, my reasons for leaving my marriage, but all the reasons for leaving the church. But then it just went downhill. And I really think that the bishop, my bishop got his yeah. claws Yeah, because, yeah, after that, prison. he's like, that you um, are sinning and you're firstly gay and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, it seemed like... Yeah, I think the bishop really had his ear, and, like, all he had to tell from your point of view was your letters, and it's much easier to hear a person than to remember what was in a letter. Yeah, and I don't like that at the end, too, where he's like, if you would have just been here to to share your testimony with us instead of just sending us emails, I'm like, I was very, very thorough in those emails about how I felt, and I I would not have been able to add anything to the table, like... Mm -hmm. They would have just ignored me, I'm sure, if I brought up all those things. Like, sure, like, gay, erase that off. Like, what about everything else? (laughs) So one thing that I wanted to talk about on a completely different note is that America and I have started a publishing company. (laughs) It's called Adina Publishers, and we have a website. It's adinapublishers.com. And we are focusing on publishing queer books, anything that's queer, like nonfiction, fiction, children's books, whatever. And we have two books underway that are in the process, the editing process. And then another thing, another project that we're doing is that that we are publishing out-of-print Mormon books specifically. Mormon like, historical books. Yes, not just um, not just pro or anti, just whatever we can find that um, would be interesting to publish. And our first book that we did publish was William Smith on Mormonism. And this one's interesting to me because he gives a very different First Vision account than Joseph does. And he and what he brings up has makes Joseph makes the timeline of the Book of Mormon very problematic. So 
he puts it as happening in 1822 and 23, William Smith does, but also he gives the name of Reverend Lane, who isn't actually around until 23-24. So that pushes the vision from somewhere between 1824 and 1825. So much later than Joseph's trying to date it. So anyway, so it's just a little tiny, about 45, 50 pages, just a little paperback. And that'll be for sale, hopefully within the ebooks available right now. On Amazon.com. And then the hardcover should be available in a couple of weeks. It has to go through the processing or finished processing. And if you're interested in an annotated version by Julia herself, um, reach out to us because um, (laughs) I'm trying to convince her that that would be a worthwhile um, use of time. Um, The audio book for William Smith's On Mormonism should be available within... 10 days we just i just uploaded all the files so that should be available to you and we're selling the the ebooks uh 99 cents the hardcover mm-hmm. should be like 4.99 mm-hmm. and then we haven't put a price on the audiobook because it does it does take a lot of time for us to record it and to edit it so i was thinking like i, I still don't want to make it super astronomically expensive like we have to make it worth our while so anyway that's still pending the price anyway so one that we're working on right now is john d lee and we're working on the audiobook for that as well and then the print book and the ebook and that is a wow, guys. That is quite a read. I can tell you because I read it. I'm I'm on my second time reading it through. It is a really interesting read. Whoa. We should just take uh maybe maybe now or maybe we could do another episode on the contents of it. Like just take go through an hour and just because there are some really wild stories in there. She would stop because she's I've been editing it while I've been working and she's just like oh my gosh, listen to this story and really really wild tales in there. Really wild. Yeah. And a lot of murder. A lot of murder. Or just, like, gore. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how to say that. That story of the young man. With the, the, in the schoolhouse. Can you just say it really quick? Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> <coughs> okay. So, okay. Brief overview. So, there's this young man and young woman who are um, engaged to each other. And there's this other bishop. I think it was Bishop Snow. I want to say Bishop Snow, and he wanted to have the young woman as one of his um, plural wives, Um, but she was engaged to this young man who was a member of the church. So he went to the young man and was like, hey, you need to break this off, and the young man was like, no way, I'm in love with her, Um, I'm sticking with her. And so he went to the young woman and was like, hey, you need to break this off. And she was like, no way. We're in love. I'm sticking with him. And so he went back to the young man and, like, threatened him, like, your eternal salvation's in, you know, in jeopardy or whatever. And he was like, I don't care. I'm in love with her. I'm sticking with her. And he went to the young woman and was like, you got to break it off. You, the only way you'll have salvation is if you marry me. And she's like, no, won't do that. I'm sticking with him. So in a last-ditch attempt, they take the young man, they say, come and have a, a meeting with us. And then they do these meetings in a, in a room in the, was it the church building? Um, I think so. And it's like a round room and they turn off the lights and he's like in the dark with like one light hanging over him, something like that. And there's, um, <clears throat> and they're trying to get him to break it off with his fiance. And he won't do it. He's very dedicated, very dedicated, loyal young man. And he will not do it. And so they say, okay, um, well, you're going to suffer the consequences then. So they start beating him in the dark. They beat him like almost unconscious. They tie his hands behind his back. That might have been before they started beating him. And they lay him on his back on the table and they castrate him. And then they take 
those, um, what do you call them? Rocky Man. Mountain oysters. <laughs> His manhood. His manhood. They said, oh, and by the way, the, he one of the quotes, the, the Bishop Snow said, the, the young woman will not want him once, the, once she knows that he is no longer a real man. So they take these Rocky Mountain oysters and they hang them in the schoolhouse so that other young men will know that they must obey or there are going to be severe consequences. So, yeah, so they've done that to him. And he, from then on, is the... the John Dee Lee describes him as an idiot or a lunatic, um, which just basically described him as, like, he, he's not crazy. He's just, um, is, like, no longer really there. Like, he's been traumatized to the Can point of... Can you imagine of, that, though? Of, you're so yeah. traumatized. Yeah. And then the young woman, um, would you guess, what did, what did she do? Married the guy? Married she the bishop? married the bishop. Oh, my gosh. I hated that story. Anyway, so that's what we have to look forward to with this. John Dee Lee's book is available from other... Um, sellers but we we're trying to sell things at a reasonable price and we're trying one thing that, we, that we're doing is keeping the original covers, covers as, um, as often as possible yeah, as often as, as available and so we have a an artist who just um, enhances them and and then makes them you know keep, tries to keep the quality of of the original and then we're trying to get, have them available for audiobooks because his book is so big it's oh it's 300 something pages well, in the fi- in the format we have now, it's five hundred something pages. Five hundred pages. Dang. So, yeah. So, anyway, so I I think people are more apt to maybe you guys can tell me. I think people are more apt to listen to an audiobook than sit and read. Yeah. Um, all those pages. So. I um, tell you what, though, it is, you know, it opens your eyes as to what was going on in the church during Brigham Young's uh, presidency because, uh, like, I went to BYU Idaho and I am now like quite ashamed to have gone to a school that had his name on it because he was not a good man. So the so the Confessions of John D. Lee, or um, I guess it's not the real title, it's, it's called Mormonism um, Unveiled, mm-hmm. and it, which is confusing because there are, I think I found at least 12 other books that are called Mormonism it's Unveiled. It's a, it's a clever name, so you yeah, just gotta e- keep doing this it. This is not the same one as Edie Howe, um, the, which is probably the most popular of Mormonism's Unveiled. But anyway, this is John D. Lee, and he was a part of the Mountain Meadows Massacre. And what I did not realize is that when that took place, 20 years went by after, what is it, 140 people, 120? 120 people had died. 120 or 19, it's like just under. It was was about 120. Okay, so after 120 people are massacred and just murdered, 20 years go by before this is brought to court, before they they accuse Mm -hmm. anyone of this. And there was, uh, by John D. Lee's um, judgment, he said there was at least 50 people involved. And, uh, and white white men. This is not including the Native Americans that assisted them. Did they bow out? I thought they bowed out early and they didn't want to mm-hmm. be involved. Not according to John Dilley. They were oh, involved. Okay. Well, anyway, that was wild to me. I was like, I thought it was a, I thought it was right away that they that they yeah, looked no, into that. Yeah, no, it was twenty years. And meanwhile, during that twenty years, Brigham Young was like trying to distract the authorities and lead them astray and whatever because he's trying to protect his people. And I'm pretty sure he's chummy with John D. Lee. Oh, yeah, they're chums. Yeah, they're friends. And then when he finally was like, I can't can't, um, keep them away any longer, they sacrificed John D. Lee, said he was the only one there. And so John D. Lee was like, well, I know that I will, you know, be backed up by my church because he always has been. So he never, like, pointed fingers. He never named names until after... Um, he was sentenced to death. And then while he was sitting there waiting to die, he named names and he gave his full confession. And let me tell yeah, you, there's some interesting details. 
anyway, we should just have a whole podcast on the Mountain Meadows and John Dooley. Uh, but another book we're trying to publish, or we all are going to publish soon, and you can find this on the website. It, we are publishing the the Nauvoo Relief Society Minute Book, which I find very fascinating. And maybe it's just because we're going through um, all of Joseph Smith's plural wives, and you can see them all in there. And and from my perspective, the, one of the reasons why the Relief Society was formed is so that Emma could figure out the truth behind polygamy and the rumors. And she was questioning from the very beginning who all was involved. And like her counselors are either a, a wife of Joseph Smith or their daughter is a wife of Joseph Smith and they have, they're privy to everything that's happening. So, so anyway, so I want to publish just one in its, in its entirety or in its purity. And then I'll do an annotated one for that one, just to point out, because it's kind of hard. These are just church. These are just notes that were taken at church. And so like point, having me point them out, uh, like, and that was your idea too, anyway, <laughs> of like, oh, this is Joseph's wife and this woman like was not accepted in the Relief Society for this reason or this woman was, I don't know, like there's just different things. And then, and then Joseph's speeches in there are, I think, pretty sexist and terrible. And he's trying to throw them off of polygamy. And even you can see that some of his wives are trying to also throw um, Emma and everyone else off. Throw them off the scent. Yeah. Anyway, so we have those coming up. So we have, that's four books coming up. And then we have more, and one, one of them that I'm excited about, which is going to take a while, but the Occultic Sciences, which is essentially a spell book that the Smiths used, is something that I also do want to print. And I don't know that that is available anywhere. I haven't really seen it. But anyway, that'll be fun. Um, so yeah, there's and there's a whole list on the website if you wanted to look at what's what we're going to try to publish soon. And if, you, if there's something that you want to see that you don't see on there that's Mormon-related, and this can be pro or anti. This isn't, this, we're, we're not picky. Just let me know. Just shoot me an email and tell me which book you want to see out there. But the in order to be in the public domain, the author has to have been dead for seventy years, and that means their copyright is is kind of up unless they have unless it's been like passed down through family. Sometimes that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, like your grandpa published books, and then his children kept the copyright. So anyway, if it's that situation, we can't do anything about it without permission. Um, but generally, you think these things are in the public domain. So anyway, um, thanks again for that. Also. If you guys wanted to purchase the books, you are we would love that. And if you guys wanted to donate to help the cause, that would be great too. And there's spots on the website from which you can donate. And that's www.edinapublishers.com. That's Adina, E-D-I-N-A. And then if you wanted to just donate from Analyzing Mormonism website, there's little red boxes everywhere that will encourage you to donate. So, yeah. So, Perfect. Yeah, thanks, and please support us. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.